Hi, and welcome to the Vancouver Life Podcast. This podcast is created to answer the most talked about questions when it comes to navigating the Vancouver real estate market. I'm your host, Dan Wartell, a licensed agent and accredited real estate investment advisor based here in Vancouver, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Dash. Hi, Dan. I'm also a local realtor, an exhausted father of two, husband of one, and really happy to be here. Let's get right into today's episode. Inventory is rising across Canada and rising really quickly in areas like Toronto. But how high does inventory need to go to really create any type of meaningful pressure on downward pricing? Well, on today's episode, we're going to explore that, plus the other things that happened this week in the Canadian real estate space, including the Bank of Canada rate hold, consumer sentiment, and the all-important mortgage space. But quick update before we get into all of that, we want to let everybody know that Ryan and I, well, we run a successful team of agents here in the GVRD called the Vancouver Life Real Estate Group. The big news is that we're actually looking to add realtors to our team. Agents who join us will have access to the same systems, coaching, leads, and accountability that has made our existing team so successful. So if you know a realtor who would like to join a team, have them go to thevancouverlife.com forward slash join to connect with us today. Perfect. Okay, now let's get into what's important this week in Canadian real estate. Right off the top, we are talking about the rate hold. Now, if you didn't catch it, we did actually do a dedicated video on this with Mikhail Ferreira from the Bank of Montreal on Wednesday. So go check that out. We talk about the rate hold in depth. But to expand a little bit further today, a couple of keynotes here. Obviously, the bank held rates, held the overnight rate at 5%. And at the press release, there were a couple of big quotes that we found important, including this one, quote unquote, there is growing evidence that past interest rate increases are dampening economic activity and relieving price pressures. So of course, what they're saying here is that these rates are at a point now where they're still taking hold and they're high enough where they should over a length of time here, put the economy back where they want it. And of course, get inflation below or within that two to 3% target. But this was also followed by Quote, the path to a soft landing is narrow. In our, in our new projection, that path is narrower. And that's ultimately Tiff Malcolm saying, we're heading into a recession. <laughs> that's a very soft way of him saying it without saying it directly because he's, yeah, you know, kind of told not to. And, and that's fine. You know, that's, that's basically their intent here as well is to go into a recession. I don't think it's going to be a deep one, but of course, time will tell here. Either way, I think the rate hold was done particularly on the back of the per capita GDP information because that ratio dipped even lower into negative territory last month, suggesting we may already be within a recession. Plus, we saw retail sales drop 0.6% last month, now at the lowest level in all of 2023. So ultimately, the rate hiking cycle may actually be done. At least it looks like it is based on today's economic landscape. And this kind of comes as good news to some politicians like uh, Abby and Ford, who recently had both sent letters to Tiff Macklem asking for no more rate hikes. Well, Tiff didn't take too kindly to this, responding back saying, look, look, the Bank of Canada is its own entity and should not be influenced by politicians. He, there, he then expanded on this, saying that, it would be helpful if governments considered the inflationary impact of their spending decisions while making their spending plans. Boom, shots fired. Basically saying, you stay in your lane and I'll stay in mine. Now, 
Obviously, the government and the Bank of Canada are in interlinked and they talk all the time. But interesting to see a bit of public um, you know, pushback from both sides this last week. Either way, uh, the Bank of Canada is now expecting inflation to take until 2025 to return to the target range. Now, we know how wrong they've been on this historically, so grain of salt, shoulder thrown. Moving along, uh, rate-wise, the markets are currently pricing in the expectation of that first rate cut to happen in June of 2024. And there'll be a couple more cuts throughout or from that point to the end of 2024, ending the year at four and a quarter percent. So that would be a total of uh, three quarter point uh, cuts from now until the end of, of next year. Of course, time will tell. This information changes literally by the day, but that's where it sits today. And I guess all of that has to do with consumer confidence too, right? So much of the outcomes of, of getting to 4.25% would be the result of people buying into that, right? And where is consumer confidence with respect to interest rates and our overall economy? I firmly believe, Dan, that we're actually in a recession right now. Uh, I, for whatever reason, it feels like our government's too afraid to say that. However, when you look at consumer confidence, this is a great indicator to show us just that. So the metric averages, just so you know, are around 100, right? And was 120 prior to the pandemic. So consider that in the 20-year history of the Conference Board's index, okay? It has only been below 60 for a total of five months. Twice during the financial crisis, once in April of 2020, and now in September and October of 2023. It has never printed consecutive readings below 60 until the past two months. That's kind of scary. <laughs> the business confidence levels look even worse. This index fell for the ninth straight quarter and is now at levels seen only during the financial crisis and the COVID pandemic. So nearly 60% of firms expect economic conditions to worsen over the next six months. That's a major uptick from the 40% who saw that in July. So when consumers and businesses lose confidence, declining spending and investment will always follow and your economic engine will slow down. Yeah, and I think the, the Bank of Canada here is is seeing that in the data here. And that's likely also part of the reason why they did not hike is because they realize the effects are still taking place. And with consumer confidence in the absolute dumps and right now staying down there, of course, people are going to pull back on, on spending. And that's going to further slow the economy, further put us into recession, further allow rates, um, inflation, excuse me, to come down and likely rates to follow. And let's see how this is all translating into the mortgage space, because this is always an important one to follow. And it really indicates, again, a lot of the health of the housing market. And interestingly, residential mortgage growth has actually increased now for three straight months. Yes, this is largely reflecting a bump in activity that, that we saw in spring when there was a minor increase in sales volumes off the back of the previous rate hold. And on top of this, mortgage originations are trending up as well with two consecutive months so far being higher than what we saw in all of 2022. So both of those metrics, they kind of point to a possible bottom in the sales volume cycle. We know sales have been low for a while now. Maybe the uptick in these two metrics say that things are kind of picking up. Again, not to any type of back to norms ratio, but again, maybe it is a cyclical bottom. 
I can also share that the greater Vancouver numbers, well, sales are up in October, higher than they were in September and higher than they were this time last year. Again, a blip on the radar, but hey, we've got some supporting data that say it may continue to trend that way, even going into our winter months here. So perhaps the relatively stable overnight rate is adding that first glimpse of hope to home buyers looking to make that move. Keep in mind, we've only seen one quarter point rate hike in the last 10 months. So in that window, things look relatively stable. And again, this is demonstrated further by the rise in people that are choosing five-year fixed rate mortgages. And the amount of people going into that type of new mortgage has been increasing for three months straight now. And new mortgages with a variable rate are also trending up as well. Now you got to think for the last 18 months, variable rates have been the boogeyman and have been causing a lot of pain for people. So the fact that more people are going into that type of mortgage now than they have been in something about a year indicate people that, you know, they believe that mortgage rates obviously will be coming down in the near future. Right or wrong, that's a bit of the sentiment that we're seeing within the mortgage space. So while the faith in the future, it might be positive, the pain is obviously here today where we're seeing affordability deteriorate even further last month. And what do I mean by that? Well, if we look at the average price of a Canadian home, if it was purchased today with an 80% loan to value at today's average mortgage rates, the average mortgage payment increased by another $20 now sitting nationally at an average of $3,570 per month, which is an all-time high. And this is up 19, this is up from, excuse me, $1,900 uh, back in early 2021. So it's almost doubled in two and a half years, just an astronomical number. The affordability index, that sits around 50% right now. And that's essentially the, the um, amount of housing expenses that you carry as a share of the disposable income. And this is, of course, the highest it's been since the 90s. So buying a home today is like what it felt like buying a home in the 90s as far as the affordability index. And uh, it hurts. It's a lot of pain there. But again, some people think that uh, the, the light may be at the end of the tunnel. Interesting, because that affordability index, when you talk to um, you know, financial planners and a, and a lot of just a lot of good common sense, you know, most people try and, and get into their shelter cost averaging no more than 30% of what they what they make, right? So it being around 50 is, it's really high <laughs> in many ways. And I think in some of the major cities, it's probably even higher than that. Uh, but speaking to that, hopefully with uh, a rise in listings, we can actually uh, temper some of this price, right? So demand obviously will remain suppressed so long as interest rates remain high, right? And with sort of rates where they are, prices and, and maybe the influx of some supply here, we may start to see some softening. So to give you guys some stats here, new listings surged in Canada 6.1% month over month in September. And this was led by a 10.1% jump in Ontario, where listings are up over 51% in the last six months alone. They are also up 21% in the past three rising new listings into a deteriorating demand and price environment is something we have not seen on a sustained basis since at least 2008 right so this is this is big this is worth keeping an eye on i mean as we continue 
um, as prices move, sorry, it's really what the government wants to see. The government wants to see prices come down that will directly affect affordability, which is kind of crazy because we just talked about how they don't really want to say they're in a recession, but that's really what they're aiming to, to do, right? Uh, Having said that, active inventory in Canada has jumped 4% month over month, the largest monthly build since June of last year. And the largest contributors were Ontario at 7.9% month over month and BC at 5.5% month over month. However, and this is a big asterisk, levels remain well below the pre-COVID levels, right? That said, they are trending higher, but particularly in Ontario, where active listings are up 35% in just the last four months, every other time we've seen inventory build on that scale in the last 20 years, it is pre precipitated by a sharp decline in prices, right? So active listings in Canada today, to give you some perspective, are at 140,000. If we rewind back to 2015, they were at 250,000. So we're kind of, you know, home prices were ripping higher and higher in 2015 and 2016 with peak levels of inventory. I mean, fast forward to where we are today, and it's such a different landscape where we're now 40% fewer listings and prices are currently dropping. And this is largely due in, in part to affordability and, and I think in many ways, sentiment and an overall slowing economy instead of one that was building. So looking to prices here, home prices nationally dropped for the first time since March, lowering by a mere 0.3%, but still a drop. Ontario led the decline with prices down 0.7%. And in contrast, Alberta saw prices rise by 1%. So we're, we're definitely seeing the impacts of these rate hikes, whether or not there'll be enough uh, or whether or not we'll see the economy start to kick in and really juice those rate hikes. I think that's likely what we'll see. We'll see a deteriorating economy, plus we're going to see restricted credit, plus higher levels of borrowing cost. That will bring down prices, and it should help with supply. And further to supply and prices, you may have heard about the Airbnb partial ban that was put forth, at least the policy idea was just last week. And of course, you know, it's a contentious issue and it's been bouncing around legislature uh, for, uh, well, ever since it was announced. So obviously there's some pros and there's some cons here, but the opponents have been a bit more vocal this week since of the announcement. So obviously short term rentals were essentially front and center um, within the legislature this week with the official opposition, BC United, pushing the province to modify these proposed laws. So the changes were pitched kind of with the idea that, look, Vancouver is trying to host the upcoming FIFA World Cup and a hotel shortage, and it's an extreme one in that sense, it would put such a, a pressure on the city on a global scale, make it look kind of ridiculous, if you will. So things like short-term Airbnb would be required just to host, host, to host, excuse me, uh, the, the fans and the people in attendance for an event such as that. And for reference, when we're talking about numbers here, they're estimating about 270,000 people would come into BC for that event. Most of those, of course, would be from out of the country and in reference, how many hotel rooms do we have to host these 270,000 people? Well, there's 23,000 hotel spaces. Does anybody see a problem there? So 
again, some of the changes being proposed here would be like, well, change the definition of short term from the current 90 days down to 30 days. Allow exemptions for things like major events like FIFA, but also things like medical visits. You know, if you ever had to uh, have a loved one in the hospital and you have to go to a specific hospital because it's a specialist and you're from out of town and you come in staying at a hotel for two weeks may not be in the budget, but staying in an Airbnb, excuse me, definitely would be. So they're trying to amend it for that as well. And they're also saying, look, let's, we know that you're trying to keep Airbnbs within the primary residence only. They're suggesting, the opposition is suggesting that people are allowed that plus one investment property that they can also Airbnb. We'll see where this all washes out. But again, it's going to go back and forth until they until they finalize it. And the, that'll happen prior to it going into effect on May 1st of next year. So heated debate, contentious issue, but Airbnb is definitely in the crosshairs right now. I think that's largely... Uh a very fair response from the opposition here. Uh, and I, and I, I think that will in many ways sort of temper the demand to have to immediately sell units that were otherwise, you know, being rented out on short-term rentals. Uh, it's yeah, it's a contentious issue. Like you said, with that being said though, um, Let's look at uh, the pre-sale world here. And I wanted to bring a story uh, to the pod. And uh, it's it's out of Toronto. And it's a building called The One. And I'm not sure if, if you guys have heard about it. But um, it was slated to be Canada's tallest tower. Uh, the original plans, I believe, were 91 stories. They've been retracted down to 85 stories. Uh, and it's on the corner of Young and Bloor. However, that particular project has now been placed into receivership. So uh, I'm going to read off a few notes here to kind of lay out the landscape. Uh, but the development known as the one began construction in 2017 and was announced in 2015. So this has been a long time coming. Uh, it was also going to comprise of residential and commercial space, including a Hyatt hotel and a flagship Apple store. However, on Wednesday, court filings revealed the corporation co-owned by Ms. Mizrahi and fellow developer Jenny Coco was $1.6 billion in debt to its lender out of South Korea, Hannah Bank. The project was supposed to be completed at the end of 2022. Oops. Costs have ballooned above 2 billion, more than 600 million than uh, up more than 600 million above early projections. Concrete walls have only so far been poured up to the 40th floor, so they still have more than half the tower to build, and the project likely won't be completed until the end of 2025. Apple has subsequently pulled out of the deal. Uh, the developer hasn't been able to find anyone else to go in there as a retail tenant. And so how, how, how could this happen, right? How could all of this take place? Uh, well, according to the developer, the project was overrun in terms of cost and delays because the principals weren't getting along. Can you believe that? That's, that's insane. Receivers have only 315 million to fund ongoing construction and the firm Alvarez and Marshall have been appointed to supervise the project from here on out. So I guess what that does is it leaves presale buyers in a bit of a precarious situation and it also leaves the receiver and and the current developer um in also a precarious position. 
So, you know, we'll see here if <laughs> do buyers do they say hey listen we're not we're not giving up any more money because you know we we were contracted to this price maybe you know or do buyers are they paying 10 to 20% more in order to cover the cost so it can get built if they don't do that do 50 plus percent of the buyers decide to walk from the project i mean if the developer decides to hey pull out return all the deposits how does the bank deal with with that that's a humongous loss of the bank and if you charge people more to complete the project and they don't want to and they walk then you're screwed as well so what i found really interesting is at the end of this article <laughs> the perspective what was really interesting is it, it said prospective condo buyers should not take this situation as a sign that the condo market is in trouble calling this a project specific issue and that's kind of terrifying because in many ways i think that that's just something that's being fed to to, to readers to calm them down whereas really you know if principals didn't get along it's probably principals didn't getting along and also over the course of 2020 to 2023 the costs of materials to build ballooned like extreme levels right so they probably ran into humongous cost arrears and have not been able to bring that back into line as such it's putting a lot of people at risk and i think as we continue down this path of a slowing economy it's going to get harder and harder for builders to meet these project deadlines and to ensure they have the money to complete too. It's just another sign of the kind of marketplace that we're in. Obviously, a, a buyer beware scenario here, and it's it's important if you are considering a pre-sale to obviously work with an agent who knows the developer's track record, their history, and their financing viability. Because while this happens, it is it is extremely rare. I don't know the exact number; maybe two hundred to one buildings will complete to one having an issue, and that might even be uh, an aggressive number. But it's something I, I should actually research here and find out for you. It is rare, uh, but it does happen. So make sure you're going and working with somebody who knows the likelihood of a building completing. You know, black swan events aside. Lastly here, just want to give you a quick update on what's happening in the GVRD market as we are wrapping up the month of October. Of course, next week we'll have a full report, but this is a little insight into what you can expect. Inventory in Vancouver has crossed 12,000 active units for the first time in three years. So if you're a buyer and you've been looking around, you might be feeling it. There's a few more options out there for you. So much so that there's more today than there is dating all the way back to November of 2020. Sales for the month, they're going to end up just over 2,000, which interestingly is higher than September, a bit unusual, and definitely higher than one year ago. So sales volumes are, are trending up in Vancouver right now. And when we look to the median and average prices, both of those are up again this month, which is really bizarre. Median and average are both up right now about $15,000 each. And listen to this, average home prices will now, after the month of October, be up for a consistent four months in a row and not you know not an astronomical astronomical number but up up is up so again we are seeing vancouver kind of buck the trend of everything that's going on around it it is the most resilient market i've ever experienced we'll see where it all washes out at the end of the month but either way things are relatively stable while slow there's no doubt it's slow 
but we're seeing some stability here. So it looks to truck along kind of um, this potential cycle bottom right now for the upcoming months. Even as we get into the winter months, of course, we're going to see even less sales happen. That's typical, but we're going to keep you updated and educated as it all happens. So thank you as always for tuning in, watching, listening. Hope you got some value out of this one. If you did, all we ask, please share it with one person that you think might enjoy it too. And we will catch you next week. Bye. That wraps up this edition of the Vancouver Life Podcast. For more information on this podcast and to access a ton of free downloads, investment opportunities, current market info, and homes for sale, you can find it all at www.thevancouverlife.com. Thanks, and we look forward to bringing you more podcasts about Vancouver real estate.